0: Our gospel lesson today comes from John's gospel, the very first chapter. We're in our series entitled Revive Us, Revive Us. That's our prayer. We're thinking of of ways that that can happen in our personal lives and in our families, in our church, in our community, in our country. And I can't help but think at the outset of, of reading this text here in just a moment and at the outset of this message that we need to remind one another that the best way to change the world is one life at a time, is one relationship at a time. So as you're able, I invite you to stand in body or in spirit as we read together the Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. John. Listen for the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, And said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. And Philip said to Nathanael, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, well come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, "'Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit.' Nathanael said, "'How did you get to know me?' Jesus said, "'I saw you under the fig tree before Philip ever even called you.' Nathanael replied, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel.' Jesus said, "'Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree?' Because you will see greater things than these. Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray together. In our hearing of your word, guide us, O God, that in our night we may see your light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will become doers of peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Several years ago now, uh, Susan, my wife Susan and I, we took a trip northward by car. And we stopped at a place... In Scottsboro, Alabama, that ought to be on all of your bucket lists. You know what it is? The name of the store is called unclaimed baggage. That's it. Every unclaimed bag from a flight anywhere in this country comes to Scottsboro, Alabama. Did you know that? People from all over come there, not to reclaim their own bag, but to sort through the contents of someone else's bag. The sociological studies on that are endless, endless. People from all walks of life, they come to sort through stuff that belonged to someone else. Now, I don't know what that says about us, that we want to look at someone else's stuff, but we do. We can learn a lot about the kind of things, the content that accompanies people in their travels. We can learn a lot about ourselves based on what aisle we're walking up and down in that unclaimed baggage store. For example, how many of you am I going to find on the hairbrush aisle, right? huh. The socks and the undergarments department? That's a big no for me, sorry. And I have noticed, they have an online store now. I've noticed that online there's some interesting items. There is an employee fingerprint machine. I hope they swiped it before somebody lost it or before they sold it put it up there. The little husband and wife figurines that you see on Christmas cakes, I mean on wedding cakes, you can buy someone else's memory right there at the unclaimed baggage store. The oddest thing to me is a two-pack of chicken diapers. Can someone tell me what chicken diapers are? I have no idea what chicken diapers are, but you can buy them. They belong to someone else at the unclaimed baggage store. Well, .003 percent of bags actually end up truly orphaned. So for 50 years, uh, this family, this company has been in Scottsboro, Alabama, and they take bags to resell, to repurpose, and to recycle the contents. And I discovered something else on their website that I think is quite inspiring. They have a drop-down tab in the little three-bar menu item, drop down, and you find a heading that says Reclaimed for Good. Reclaimed for Good. They have a Reclaimed for Good program so that for every item sold, either in-store or online, there's another item that's donated to charity. So people who need stethoscopes on the front lines of various countries have those items donated. Or people who need a wheelchair and their insurance company won't cover it or they can't find one, they can get a wheelchair. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands, have sight now because glasses have been uh, donated through the Reclaimed for Good program. Well, you know that language started turning my wheels, right? I think an unclaimed baggage store sounds like the model church really because if you don't hear anything else that that I say today what what we all need to know here is that we are claimed by God we are reclaimed by Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit we're repurposed for good that is to do good in this world honestly we've been an unclaimed baggage store the church has been in the unclaimed baggage store we've been the lost and found department for 2000 years amen And so in today's reading, something curious happens as Jesus is meandering around through the region of the Galilee. People, lives, and their stories begin to be claimed and reclaimed for good. So Jesus comes to these two men, and they're interesting to me, Philip and Nathaniel. I like them. Philip is a Greek name, and and he lives in Galilee, in this region over in Israel-Palestine at that time. And so I think a Greek name in the region where he lived, being from where Peter and Andrew were, I think it says a lot about his blended family situation. Or maybe it says something about the nature, the scope of Christ's mission that is forthcoming to those who would be daring enough to say, follow me. Because you see, Nathaniel, It's a very Jewish name. It means God has given. And then you have Philip, the Greek. Maybe John's gospel is telling us this thing, this scope, this mission, this movement, oh, it's about to be world-changing, world-changing. Personally, I think Jesus was beginning and being strategic about diversifying his portfolio the kinds of disciples he wanted around him he had all kinds of voices around him tax collectors and fishermen judas you know he he was the cfo of the group these folks would spend the next 3 years with jesus and be a part of his circle of trust so maybe What's happening in Philip and Nathaniel is we're starting to see the scope of this mission that Jesus is willing to come into the world and change one life at a time, whether you're inside the box or outside the box. There's something there to be said. Philip is interesting. He immediately knows Jesus, and he can't wait to tell someone else. He becomes an evangelist in that way, a messenger, if you will. And he goes, he's bound by christ and his response is i'm all in who can i tell so he goes and he finds his friend nathaniel this is the one we found him well he found you first philip this is the one about whom moses the prophets torah our hebrew bible this is him we're sure of it sometimes we're like philip When we have this experience with Christ or someone makes a claim about Christ, we're all in immediately. We begin feasting on that good news. But sometimes we're like Nathaniel, right? We need to slow down, check the temperature, give it the smell test before we start taking, by faith, one bite at a time. And so here's the thing about Nathaniel. He does not begin his journey as part of the inside crowd he's he's not introduced to, to jesus through a healing ministry or through the exorcism of a demon uh, nathaniel's water is is never turned into wine as it was for many people and his loaves and fish were never multiplied in a way that it was for the masses nathaniel is introduced by a claim and an experience that one of his friends had with jesus christ that's powerful All we are told is that Philip went and found him and said, You got to hear this. You got to hear this. And whereas Philip's response was, I'm all in, Nathaniel had something different to say, right? He asked a question Can anything good come from Nazareth? I like that. I think it's important to ask a question before you're ready to join. A world changing movement, but make sure you're asking the right question. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's, that's Nathaniel's way of saying, who's his people? Who's his mom and daddy? What, what do they do? And it's interesting uh, to me, that's part of what Nathaniel is asking. He never disputes Philip's testimony about the Moses and prophet stuff, but Nazareth to my knowledge, is not mentioned in the writings of the Old Testament or in the words and the oracles of the prophets. Nazareth is a meager, small, it's not even a town or city, it's a village of a couple hundred, three hundred people, blue-collar workers. But it sits right next to a town called Sepphoris, and there's a quarry there and a lot of masons there, who do stonework for the Roman Empire? So you have little old Nazareth next to the robust Sepphoris, and Jesus Christ will come speak truth to power. So maybe Nathaniel's question is merited. Can anything good come from little old Nazareth? You see, Nathaniel's question, nothing wrong with questions. They help us grow. They help us learn. They help us dig our heels in and deepen our faith, but we need to ask the right question. Nathaniel doesn't ask a theological question. He asks a question about geography. Where's he from? It's a matter of zip code. It's a matter of boundaries. It's a matter of lines of demarcation. Nathaniel's inquiry is a matter of suspicion, and maybe suspicion of the other. Isn't he from Nazareth? You know, over there? Because you know, as well as I do, questionable people come from questionable places. And important people come from important places. And I think a lot of times we do that with Jesus and we do that with with other people. All right, Lord, give us your credentials. Qualify yourself. Send me your resume. Or we do it to other people. Qualify yourself. Give me your credentials. Send me your resume and then I might love you. Aren't you glad that Jesus flips that and doesn't ask for any of our baggage in, in order to say, well, you've got this right and, and this isn't quite right and all that. Sure, there's a, there's a judgment. There's a weeds and a weed and a sheep and a goat's part of our sanctification and moving on to, to perfection. But that initial, initial relationship with, with Jesus Christ, Jesus just says, come as you are. I'll take you just like you are. And I think that's good news. Good news. Despite all of that, Nathaniel, he will not allow his suspicion or his biases or his prejudices about Nazareth to supersede his acceptance of a very simple invitation. So if we want to think about how revival happens, the Genesis moment of revival for our lives and for our families and with our friends, and within our church, and with our community, and certainly within our our country during these most difficult times. Maybe it's to reclaim the good news that our best claim is an invitation. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. I I I can't talk you into the faith. Come and see for yourself. One writer says that there's a certain type of thinking uh, that makes public opinion the arbiter of truth. You see, I also wonder if Nathaniel thought, you know, here's this headline. We found the one about whom Moses and the prophets foretold, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. That's a headline, right? Right? And I just wonder if Nathaniel's wondering, like, why did I hear that from a friend? Why didn't I hear that on a major news outlet in, in the Middle East this week? Because the way you change the world is one life at a time. So, if the general public and all the news outlets are not talking up the Jesus story, we get suspicious. Because we are part of, we buy into the bandwagon mentality if that group believes it it must be true or if that outlet reports it it must be true we can take it to the bank and the approach on hearing uh, to hearing such a claim as, as this the fear that i have of, of just being all in with something without asking questions is that we neglect personal interpretation or we miss an opportunity for authentic experiences despite all that Nathaniel takes a step forward to come and see. There's no debate. Philip, Nathaniel, they don't don't get caught up in the vortex of what ifs. What if if he isn't who he says he is? What if someone sees us following him? What if we had bad information? What if this is uh, fake news? What happens is at the end of the day, Nathaniel has heard a claim He's got to decide if he wants to get to a place to make that same claim. In all of my years working with Compromands, and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students that have come through this church and other churches, I've only had one student tell me, I don't want to be confirmed. I'm not ready. Because my questions are more than my answers. I, I have far more questions than I do answers. And we talked through that, this student and I, a long time, for several weeks. And I said, well, list them out. Let's talk, let's talk through them because questions are, are great. We can get through it. He said, I can't make sense of Jesus up here. I said, that's okay. I can't either all the time. But what I can assure you, and what I told this student is, sometimes we need to engage Jesus not intellectually, but experientially. Sometimes we need to see Jesus, the body of Christ at work in the world. They're not mutually exclusive. We need both. Sometimes I need to remind myself, I can't talk myself into believing Jesus. I just got to know that I'm being invited to come and see. Come and see what God is doing. And so I just wonder how many faith journeys have ended up when the church tried to win every debate or have every answer to every question that it was ever asked. If, if our role in experiencing revival and sharing revival in our church and community, if, that, if we're serious about that, then we have to help questions become confessions. Our questions need to lead to a confession because to hear one's question means we're willing to give space To the question that that person is is asking. We're willing to listen and we're willing to share. The church must be a place where the baggage of guilt and shame and bias and prejudice and fear are checked at the door because Jesus is the baggage claim area. Willing to take it all and say, "That's, that's too heavy. Lay that down. Lay that down. Lay it down. Good news is that when Philip takes Nathanael to Jesus, something extraordinary happens. Before they have any kind of exchange or conversation, Jesus says, I know you. I saw you under the fig tree. How do you know me? You've never met me. He flips it, right? Brothers and sisters, if you want to know how revival can happen, it begins with each of us naming and claiming that we are known by God whether we realize it or not, and that we are loved by God that there is absolutely not one thing in this world that any of us can do to make God love us any less. There's not one thing we can do in this world to make God love us more fully and holy and perfectly that we are already loved. You are claimed by God. You are reclaimed by Jesus Christ. And you are repurposed by the Holy Spirit to do good in this world. Jesus, he sees Nathaniel as a a seeker. He sees Nathaniel as as one with some unclaimed baggage, not as a, a skeptic. Maybe Jesus sees Nathaniel as someone who needs to check some baggage... But he has enough courage. And and one thing I love is that Nathaniel makes a more definitive claim than his friend Philip did. Philip said, Moses, prophets, we got it. After Nathaniel's experience with Jesus Christ, he says, you are the son of God. You are the king. That's bold. I, I discovered something this week Every now and then, um, the staff allows me to play with the toys and the technology around here. Not often, but every now and then. So this past week, uh, I was rummaging around through the database. Uh, and, and that's kind of a scary thing, our, our church database and the preacher and all that kind of stuff. But I get lost in there. It'll take me five hours to do what Lillian can do in, in five minutes. But we were looking through this, and, and I noticed something about every single person's contact card who has a connection point with this church, whether you're a member, whether you visited, whether you've given, not given, whatever it is. If you've ever connected with this church in any way, you have a contact card. And there's three words at the bottom of every person's contact card that I love. Added, modified, verified. Now, who knew a church database could be its own three point sermon and lead to revival. But there it is. You've been added, you're claimed. You've been modified, you're reclaimed. And you've been verified because the Holy Spirit sees talents and gifts in you that can go change the world. That's who we are. We're part of a world changing movement. And I pray that one of our goals this year is is to help people keep sorting out their baggage and know that the church is a place where we all come as we are. That sometimes we're saints, sometimes we're sinners, but we come to see the work that Jesus Christ is doing in this world. It begins with an invitation. It begins by saying, let me tell you about the one I've found. Let me tell you about the one who has, who has found me and come and see because he's added me. He's modified me. He's verified me. He's claimed me. He's reclaimed me. And he's repurposed me for kingdom work. That's the good news, friends. If we'll all come, come and see. As we celebrate the life of, of Dr. King this weekend, I, I have a discipline, an annual discipline. I have weekly disciplines and monthly disciplines, but part of my annual discipline is to read some of Dr. King's work, particularly his letter to ministers from a Birmingham jail, and it is pointed. But he reminds clergy in that letter that no longer is the church supposed to be the taillights in the community, running from challenges, but that we're supposed to do a U-turn and be the headlights, helping shed light on the dark places within our community and helping the community find direction and purpose. Dr. King inspired people to dream. And he once wrote, no person has the right to rain on your dreams. No person has the right to rain on your dreams. So I've been wondering about dreams and I've been thinking about the most important dream that we can all dream together and that is that this year, whomever is in our sphere of influence will know that they are loved by Jesus Christ, that they are claimed and reclaimed and repurposed for ministry in the world. I think... Dr. King would say that there's no situation or pandemic or national challenges or any kind of divisiveness that should rain on the dreams of the church. So my dreams for us this year are that we all will work harder at building one another up instead of tearing one another down because it's time. I dream that we will take the command of Jesus Christ Seriously, to end hunger and to combat poverty and to visit the lonely and to clothe the naked because it's time. I dream the same dream as Dr. King where we'll start looking at the contents inside the box of one's heart and judge character and not the exterior color of one's skin. I dream of the day where there are no more labels where the only label that we attach to ourselves and to others is that you are a child loved by God unconditionally. We are the capital of dreams where questions become confessions. Dr. King said, if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. That's what I intend to do, is to do small things as best I can in a great way, like reclaiming. If you're claimed by God, you're reclaimed by Jesus Christ, and you're repurposed for good by the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever, amen.